G'day and welcome back to the Talking Leadership TV podcast series. Our guest today is Catherine Sayer. She is the CEO of the Family Business Association, a member-based body representing family businesses which account for 70% of all businesses in Australia, with more than 1.4 million family businesses of all sizes, be they small, medium or large. She has a focus on raising the profile of the sector. She leads a team across Australia and New Zealand delivering unique programs focused on helping family businesses thrive. She's the previous Chief Executive Officer of Food South Australia. She also has a focus on building a reputation as the voice of industry to government and has strong stakeholder engagement skills. Catherine graduated with a degree in business management, majoring in marketing. Since that time, she's worked with organisations across a number of sectors, both private and public, and ran a marketing consultancy prior to joining Food South Australia. She is currently the Deputy Chair of Seafood Industry Australia, Chair of the Tropical Tuna Management Advisory Committee, a Commonwealth Fishery, and a member of the Camp Quality Board. She has held chair, deputy chair, and member roles of a number of agribusinesses, seafood and sporting boards, and committees. She's a member and graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. I enjoyed my podcast discussion with Catherine, and I know you will as well. But enough from me. I will hand over to Catherine. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, Catherine. Thank you for your time today, mate. Thanks a lot, Eric, and thanks for the opportunity. Not a worry. So let's uh, start where I often like to start with these podcasts is your leadership and its beginnings. Can you share that with us, please? Well, it's a really interesting question because I, I, I've been thinking about that and it probably relates back to my school days, to be honest. Um, and and I, I suppose the first leadership opportunity I got was when I was in about grade six at school, uh, when I was asked to uh, do a reading at the school um, end of year service, which was a massive big deal. Um, and I remember the head of the junior school um, had me out in the quadrangle uh, projecting my voice and practising and all those sorts of things. So so that was probably the first leadership opportunity I got and, and which incorporated some public speaking. And here I was about nine or 10 years old, absolutely terrified about something like that uh, happening. But so that was the beginning. I had some leadership uh, roles at um, at school and played a lot of sport as well. So I think there's lead- lots of leadership opportunities in sport. And I suppose fast forward many, many, many years and I'm in a CEO role. Thank you for seeing some, um, giving us some scene setting there. Sorry, I'm, I should say. And so in, in your travels, Catherine, Define leadership for me, and and before you do, why I ask this particular question because a couple of guests have asked me, well, why define the thing if there is no universal definition? I think there's some value in the experience of the people that I'm talking to, and and most agree that you'll all have a slightly different take on what leadership means to you as a process, as a thing. So I'll put it to you, Catherine. How do you define leadership? Well, I think that's exactly correct. There is a hard way to define it. Um, so I really, I've been thinking about this one as well. And I think um, to be a good leader, you need to show a level of consistency and empathy and actually share your own personal values so people understand what they are. And and my three that I, I look at are sort of trust, transparency and loyalty. And I think if you communicate that to a, a team, they get some level of understanding about where you're coming from. I think leadership is also about taking responsibility and being accountable. So, you know, when you're managing a team, um, the best thing that can ever happen is when they really stuff up, they come straight to you and they say, I've stuffed up. And 
you then actually you've got there's a couple of roles that you play as a leader one is to actually go no problem and I really appreciate you telling me and if it's a big problem then I work with the person to fix it if it's not a big problem it's like let's all just move on you know one's died here it's okay and I had a very specific example of that last week where it was absolutely fine yes it was a mess up did it really impact anything too much not really but the person was so upset that she'd let the team down and she was in tears and so it was like it's okay but the best thing about it is you've got to be firm and strong as a leader but you also need to make sure people your team in particular not that not so much externally although there is an impact around that but if you your team really understand you've got their back and you will back them in that's really critical and they need to understand that. So that's kind of a bit of a long version about leadership. And if you ask me tomorrow, it might be another answer. But um, that that's sort of my my summation today. Yeah, there, there's no right and wrongs here. In fact, I might, before I get to sectoral perspectives around uh, leadership that you're seeing, I might ask you the question around leader capability. This is an area of interest to me and where most of my focus of my thinking is at the moment is in what are those critical leader capabilities that that get you to be the most effective leader that you can be? And so you flagged that for you, trust, transparency, and uh, being transparent, sorry, and loyalty are critical um, as part of that process. But in terms of um, core leader capabilities, if I can use that terminology, what does that list look like for you, Catherine? Mm. I think emotional intelligence is critical. Uh, you know, there's lots of technical roles in life and those sorts of people tend to have a different type of emotional intelligence to what I would call leaders uh, in, and, and that soft skill space as well. Um, so emotional intelligence is really important. Um, I think you just, you just need to... I think self-awareness is really important as well. I think leaders can get really caught up with um, um, themselves to some degree. And I think having that ability to reflect as to whether you've actually done that well or not is actually really important. Um, And, you know, my my particular personality style is very direct. Um, Now, some people get quite confronted by that. So I've always got to be aware of that. and then not change my personality, but be aware of it in a way that then I can introduce some fun or or empathy or something like that into other conversations so people get comfortable with the directness as well as the, um, you know, the, the sort of the empathy around things as well. So I don't know whether that's answered your question. But no, it, ha- it has 100%. In fact, cutting to the quick, I think, is an important part of leadership styles and yeah sometimes it can be confronting for some people but um, as long as you're aware that that is your style it makes that interaction when you talk about building trust and transparency if people kind of know that this is how you operate then as long as you're doing it within respectful boundaries I mean being direct doesn't mean being rude it doesn't mean being um, using a power play to um, push down someone else it just means that is the style that you've adopted and look i've i've seen that work and not work in many places but it you know the subjective um perception of someone who is not upfront and in your face and i don't mean that in a negative way 
You can't control how people feel about that. Let me ask you this from a sector-wide perspective, or not just the sectors that you've worked in, but more broadly, what do you see as a key leadership issue at the moment that's got you thinking about the topic? Well, that's a really good question because I think the political environment that we're living in right now, um, from time to time I thought, oh, politics would be really interesting, you can influence change and all those sorts of things. I I don't think I'd want to be a politician for anything because if we look at what's recently happened um, in terms of, of the, the yes vote, the no vote, um, the referendum, um, as well as the global affairs that are going on, there is no way a, even, an excellent leader even could navigate their way through it unscathed. Um, there are such polarised views about things that I, you know, it, it's really exercised my mind quite a lot because I think, you know, we require politicians and governments to lead and I think they're in a world of pain right now in terms of how they can lead effectively and so it's not a political statement, but it's just an observation that um, it wouldn't matter who was in power. I think we've got a lot of divisiveness in the world and there's no majority that you could look at and go, yep, this is the right way to go because there's such conflicting views on things. The post-COVID-19 world, now I know you're probably sick of talking about it, but it's still a thing in as much as we went through a pandemic collectively as human beings the leaders were part of that process and um what i might ask you then on the topic is do you think the leadership thinking has been influenced or potentially changed as a result of coming out of COVID-19 and i will flag that it's early days yet given that the pandemic is still not in the distance in terms of the rearview mirror because we're only sort of just coming out of it and recovering and thinking about what it meant so from a leadership perspective how do you Mm. see it I might just go a little step back. So in, uh, from my perspective, uh, I've moved as the CEO of Food South Australia, the peak food and beverage industry body, to in Adelaide in South Australia to a role as the CEO of Family Business Association, which is national and includes New Zealand. So as in my role at Food SA as a membership-based organisation, I it was a very empowering period for me as a leader, leader because... We have a membership base that was very diverse from very small to very large. And uh, my role was always as the the person between the government and industry speak and understanding effectively two languages. What happened was the the high panic that existed through that period of of a number of years in terms of, you know, business is going to be closed or not or how do you navigate all sorts of things was great because I had the had the industry come to me. I could talk to them about what their issues were and I could find someone in government to help solve that problem. So that I could I felt really felt that I could stand up and be a leader as that beacon of come to me and I will help navigate through your issues. Couldn't always solve them, um, but certainly um gave confidence to industry that we could help them navigate things. So that and and of course there were all the supply chain issues and all the all all the things around um, the disruption that uh, COVID caused, which the whole world experienced. Although I think Australia um, is a bit of a lag, uh, and I think 
what happened in the rest of the world was they were getting on with their travel, they were getting on with all sorts of things, and we were very much an island uh, isolated from the rest of the world. So there's some flow-on effects of that. Moving to Melbourne, as I did only a few months ago for this new role, um, culturally I think people in Melbourne are scarred from COVID in a very, very different way to the rest of the country. Again, that's not a statement of, uh, you know, politics or anything like that. It's an observation of behaviour. What I found in Adelaide was the minute we could all get back to the office, we were there five days a week and and preferred to be together, preferred to be in the office and, you know, of course, flexibility to work from um, home as and when required. Totally different in Melbourne. Um, getting people to understand and reconnect the value of relationships uh, rather than as we're doing on screens and uh, other situations, you know, phone call, teams, meetings, whatever. Um, it's that coffee conversation. It's the water cooler conversation. It's the, oh, someone's just over there. I can go and talk to them about this. And you forget about it. You don't then, oh, you've got to send an email, you've got to do whatever. So I'm finding it fascinating the culture of workplaces is quite damaged uh, in Melbourne, and I'm talking across the board. Uh, everyone I talk to is having difficulty getting people back into the office. And I suppose, again, if you flip back into the leadership style, I've been very clear that I respect uh, how things have been in terms of this the hybrid working model. I respect and, and reluctantly accept that it's here to stay. Uh, so it's about then making sure that you can encourage the team of the benefits of being together as opposed to the isolation of the of the working from home. So, again, you know, Melbourne's a lot bigger than Adelaide. A lot of people have to travel a lot more than they do in Adelaide. But, but very, very different, uh, the two states, in terms of attitude towards work. Yeah, that's uh, uh, some interesting insights. A lot of the discussion around the impacts of this in Australia, Victoria and Melbourne come up as a case study in um, there are some other lingering issues there. I, yeah. I, I can understand why some uh, aren't enamoured with the work from home model and it sounds like your preference is to be everyone in that same space, but I think you'll also recognise that there's some flexibility oh, required. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, it's nice that you say that, that there has to be, but there'll be some leaders that said, no, there's no has to be. We're doing it my way or or the highway. And there's been a little bit of that, but I can understand because as human beings, let alone being leaders, we revert to type. And if you go back to old habits, the nine to five working from an office is what people consider to be standard operating procedure now the idea of that um digital nomad the person that can be anywhere mm. to do that work i think there's some benefits to that too but there's also some downsides and um all i can say with hand on heart surety is that we will be talking or reading about this in books and analyzing this for a long time to come and and people will ask me maybe my grandkids will ask me where where, where what were you doing through covid well i was working from home like i always did and it didn't really impact me, but I could see where there are people that thrive on being with other people that COVID really th threw a wrench in the well, works. I agree. And I think it's also about the structure of the workplace as well. You know, I, I'm, I don't ever call people that I work with staff. It's it's all about team. And I think, you know, as the saying goes, there's no I in team. So, 
So it kind of brings that whole thinking of if we are a team, let's behave like a team, uh, not in silos. And I think if you're an independent person, well, that that's a totally different environment. And working from home has been very commonplace for a long time. There's that team element and the understanding of each other and you know, things slip through the cracks pretty quickly if you're not really well communicating well. Yeah, 100%. Now, uh, Catherine, I'd, I'd like to go to my two final standout issues here, and I'm, I'm keen, keen to hear what you have to say. The nature versus nurture uh, debate, are leaders born or are they made? I really don't know the answer to that. I think I think there are characteristics that are um, of, of leaders that are probably the the, the um, they're born uh, as such, but I don't. It doesn't mean that it's not an all or nothing type of thing. Yeah, you know, I think uh, people can have experience. I think all leaders need to embrace experience, and you become a better leader the more experience you get. You start as a leader. Well, in my my instance, without. It's a bit egotistical potentially, but, you know, I think I, I, I actually always wanted to be a leader and I think I've got some of those characteristics of a leader. Um, do other people that I know have those characteristics? Yes, plenty of them. Um, do some of them learn them over time? Yes, I think they do. So the answer is I don't know. <laughs> and, and and it's okay not to know. And, in fact, um, most responses are some combination of of nature and yeah. nurture um i don't i don't think there's ever a right answer here the the logic of asking this question is to just hear your thinking around why not one or more of the other and it's it, it's always um good to hear people's perspectives on it my own is I, I think it's a mix of the two majority made but some born and then this issue around if you don't have opportunities if the environment's not right if you don't have a lucky hand maybe it doesn't go anywhere and there's there's too many variables that can um come into play and i think that's where you're going with that so final area to talk about catherine is looking back on your leadership pathway if you could go back in time what would you say to a younger version of yourself about being a more effective leader Oh, I think I think it's that emotional intelligence and empathy piece. I think I was probably quite a harsh leader early on. Um, so if I reflect back on that, uh, there were times that I probably could have been a bit more. I, 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 it was sort of like I was in a hurry to do things, and and it was sort of a, a bit too too harsh potentially. Um, and I think just. Just you've got to learn as you're going and and really um I think embrace every opportunity. Um be empathetic. Um but yeah, I, I think it's about taking opportunities and and learning and growing and um really uh enjoy you've got to enjoy what you do as well. And I think I think um the you touch authenticity and those sorts of things are really, really critical as well. You you know. You can't pretend to be someone you're not. And I think people certainly say to me, what you see is what you get. Um, and I think that's some level of comfort for some people as well. So I think you've got to be authentic, empathetic, um, clear. Like I, I think often you've got to start the way you plan to finish is, is something I always have in the back of my mind. And so you can come in as a leader in a particular situation, whether it's sport or work or, or personal or whatever, um, 
but you don't want to start um, in a way that you don't plan to continue. Like you come in all, oh, everything's lovely and we're all going to play happy families or whatever, you know, in whatever environment it is. But then we have to make some tough decisions. People go, well, where did that come from? So I think I think you need to really understand what your values are and what you want to achieve as a leader and you need to communicate that clearly. Catherine, thank you for your time today, mate. This has been great. Thanks for the opportunity, Eric. Really appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us. I'd like to thank Catherine for her time and insights into her leadership pathway. Again, if you like the content, please drop a like or subscribe to help us grow this channel. Thank you again for your support. Have a great day, rest of your week, and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.